We thank you for visiting Christian Bible Temple and pray the following message speaks to your heart. Let us open our Bibles this morning to the book of Hebrews, chapter 13. The book of Hebrews, chapter 13. Let us hear the word of God. Let brotherly love continue. Do not forget to entertain strangers. For by so doing, some have unwittingly entertained angels. Remember the prisoners as if chained with them, those who are mistreated, since you yourselves are in the body also. Marriage is honorable among all, and the bed undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers God will judge. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my, my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be carried about with various and strange doctrines, for it is good that the heart be established by grace, not with foods which, which have not profited those who have been occupied with them. And may the Lord bless this, the reading of his word. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come before your presence this morning thanking you for your word. Thanking you for your person. Thanking you, Father, that you are holy. We thank you for your beauty and your righteousness and justice and for your infinite love. We thank you for your forgiveness, for your grace and your mercy. Thank you for your precious Son, our dear Savior, the Lord Jesus. Thank you for your precious Holy Spirit who indwells us and guides us and convicts us and leads us into all truth. Thank you for your holy word that is open before us today again. And we thank you for the instruction that we receive through your word this morning. Help us to hide your word in our hearts that we might not sin against you. Thank you for our families. Thank you for our church. Thank you for our nation. We pray that, Lord, you will bring a revival in this nation beginning with us. Dear God, help us to be consecrated wholly to you. And we want to pray this morning also for Israel, for their protection, their salvation, for the peace of Jerusalem. And we pray for our missionaries this morning, wherever they are. Especially we pray for Miguel Zuger and the underground church. We pray for your protection for them and growth. Thank you for each member in our church, every person that comes. Pray for the families, the individuals that are here today. And we pray for those who are away, that you be with them and bring them back again safely. Speak to us right now, we ask, as we commit this service into your hands. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Here we have the 13th and final chapter of the book of Hebrews. Here we're going to be speaking about the believer's faith demonstrated. The believer's faith demonstrated. As we come to this last chapter of this wonderful book, we find the writer dealing with some very practical issues. The emphasis here is how believers demonstrate their faith. We can talk about faith all we want, but it's not enough to just talk about faith. We have got to live it, and we have got to demonstrate it. In the chapter 11, the writer gave us examples of the heroes of the faith. In chapter 12, gave us exhortations to faith. And now in chapter 13, he gives the evidence of that faith. 
the Lord said that the tree is known by its fruit. That is, true believers will produce good fruit in their lives. And this fruit will show in every area of daily living. Every believer has got to show some fruit in their lives. If you have never shown any fruit, spiritual fruit in your life, you need to check yourself whether you are in the faith or not. Okay? So the first thing is, how do we do that? First of all, we do it by having fellowship with other believers. Some people don't think this is very important. So they come to church sporadically. But we read in chapter 10, we were exhorted not to forsake the assembly of ourselves together, as some have as a habit, but to exhort one another daily while it is called today. Why does God exhort us to congregate as a church? Because having fellowship with other believers helps us to demonstrate our faith. Okay? How do we do that? First of all, showing brotherly love. That's verse 1. That's a very short verse. Let brotherly love continue. The Greek says literally, the brotherly love remain. That's how it says it in the Greek. The brotherly love remain. It's not just any love. It's brotherly love. Okay? And brotherly love being one word only from, uh, one word only in the Greek. From this word, we get the word Philadelphia. That's why it's called the city of brotherly love. And that's not the original Philadelphia. The original Philadelphia was and is in Turkey. The, one of the seven churches of Asia Minor, Philadelphia. And that was the good church. When you read the book of Revelation, the Lord doesn't have anything negative to say about that church. May the Lord not have to, to say anything about our church. Amen? But that's up to us to make sure that we are faithful, that we do not have the characteristics of the other six churches or five churches because Mirna also was a faithful church, right? I heard the other day of a friend of my sister that she stopped going to her church. Why? Because there is conflict in the church. Church is divided. And that's sad. If a church has problems, you don't stop coming to church unless it's teaching heresy. And you know that you're not going to hear heresy from this pulpit as long as the Lord allows me to be here. Okay? I love the Word of God, and I love true, clean doctrine. You're not going to hear heresy from here. And uh, we, what do we do? Either we become part of the solution or part of the problem. What does it solve to be away from church? It doesn't solve anything. You need to be here to encourage other believers as often as you possibly can. And here we have the church, Philadelphia. Let brotherly love, let Philadelphia continue. Love is the perfect bond of unity, we're told in Colossians 3.14, or of perfection in a church. Love covers a multitude of sins. When you come to church, don't look at the defects and criticize. When you come to church, is there are defects here. Pray about them and see what you can do to make it better. Amen? Otherwise, you're going to rise up on the wrong side of history. Either, we're, either we are missionaries or we're mission fields. If you are a missionary, roll up your sleeves and start doing something about it. What can you do to better things in church? Now, the Lord commanded us to love one another as he loves us. Do you remember the Old Testament? It says you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Right? Yes? No? Well, now the Lord in the New Testament goes a step further than that. It's no longer just love your neighbor as yourself. Now it's love each other as I have loved you. And how has he loved us? The Bible says there in that same chapter... That he loved, having loved his own, he loved them to the end. In other words, to the nth degree, to the uttermost. Okay? So that's how we need to love. We need to strip ourselves of selfishness. This world is not about you. 
It's about God. Amen? When you are thinking only of yourself, me, 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 you know how you're going to end up? You're going to end up being a miserable person. A miserable person. Happy is the man or woman that thinks of others first. Okay? So here we see uh, the first thing is having fellowship with other believers. The admonition here implies that some of these believers, by the way, this is a commandment, not an option. Let brotherly love or let Philadelphia continue. It's a commandment. It's not an option. Some people think they have an option. Do oh, I, I, I like that person? I uh, don't like that person. Love covers a multitude of sins. Remember that. Okay? Um, the admonition here implies some were in danger of neglecting this. And they needed to continue showing this love as they were known to do earlier in the epistle. Okay? And also... The Apostle John, who's, who has been called the Apostle of Love, exhorts us to do the same thing. He says, for all that is in the... No, sorry, that's the wrong chapter. It says here that by this we know love. People talk about love today, but it's not really, it's not love. What the world defines as love is lust. Or it's a carnal love. Erotic love. And the word eros does not appear in the New Testament ever. It's called agapi, or it's called philia, or it's called storgi. Three words in Greek for love, and they all have different shades of meaning. But God's love is agapi. So when it says God so loved the world, the word used there is agapi. It's God's love. When he tells us to love one another, that's the word he uses, agapi. Holy godly love by this we know love and this is the love that john is talking about because he laid down his life for us that's love love is to meet the need isn't it love is give to give when you love you give you don't take that's lust okay by this we know love because he laid down his life for us and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren in other words love true love is sacrificial but whoever has this world's goods, and this is the, uh, the, the test. Whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? If you see a person in need, don't pray and say, Lord, please meet that person's need. You take money out of your own pocket and meet that person's need. That's love. Don't expect others to do it. Don't be a hypocrite. Oh, Lord, I want, please meet that person's need. Well, if you have money, take it out of your pocket and give it to them. Buy them some groceries or whatever else they need. Don't think that everything is about you. Love is sacrificial. And the Lord said it is more blessed to give than to receive. So even if you want to receive, start giving. Sometimes people ask me, why do you give? I give because I'm selfish. I want to receive. Now, I don't do it for that purpose. I'm jo I joke when I, do, when I say that. I don't expect the Lord to give me something in return in the same in tender. You know what I'm saying? Maybe, maybe God will bless me some other way than just a physical way. But it is better to give than to receive. And it says there, my little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. In other words, let our love be honest, be truthful, be sincere. Okay? Not just in theory. So we see here that this love is not based on family, national, or any other kind of, of, of ties but on the spiritual life we have in Jesus. The fruit of the Spirit is love. That's the first thing. Okay? And a person who has the Holy Spirit doesn't need to be coerced to love others. A church that is based on anything else than love for Christ and the brethren 
will not last. We are exhorted in Romans 12, verse 10, to in honor prefer one another, love one another with sincere love. In 1 Thessalonians, the apostle Paul exhorts the Thessalonians to continue loving each other as they have demonstrated. And also, 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 22 tells us to love one another without brotherly love. Okay? And we need to add love to all the other virtues. So sharing brotherly love is the first thing. The second thing is being hospitable. Look at verse 2. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by, doing so, uh, for by so doing, some have unwittingly entertained angels. Where there is love, there is also hospitality. Another Christian obligation. Hospitality is another Christian obligation. Hospitality, in Greek, means love of strangers, literally. Philoxenia. See, philo, phileo, love. Xenos, foreigner. Okay? So you love the foreigners. You love the strangers. That's what hospitality is. Love of strangers was important and necessary because many believers had lost their possessions due to the persecution they suffered and needed places to stay. And because of lack of accommodations also back then. Also traveling ministers needed places to stay. It's not like today you have hotels and motels and this and that, blah, blah. Back then they had none of, none of that, okay? Many believers were poor and could not even afford to stay but in the homes of other believers. And keeping also in mind that churches met mostly in homes during those times. There were no cathedrals then. There were no big church buildings. Most people met, most churches met in homes, okay? Or in all believers we all believers must be hospitable. Many of us come to church, go in, go out for years, and never invite anybody home, even for a meal. Stop to think of that. I'm not asking you to invite me anywhere. And it's not for the food, because I eat home. Okay? But it's the, the fact of just being together. Even when we have something in church and we have a meal, I've seen some people in the past, not lately, but in the past, they just go there, serve themselves food, and they go home. The idea is not for you to eat. Eat your own food at home. The idea is to serve yourself, sit down, and have some fellowship with another believer or other believers. That's the idea of the whole thing. Amen? Remember that. That is important. Another reason to love strangers is that by doing so, some have entertained angels unawares. Abraham is a good example of hospitality. If you read Genesis chapter 18 and 19, you're going to see that he entertained what he thought were three men. But the three men that he uh, entertained in his tent were in reality two angels and the other one was the Lord Jesus Christ himself before his incarnation. Okay? Angel, the word angel in the Greek, angelos, means messenger. Whether heavenly or human. These messengers or angels could be God's messengers to us of God's blessings and we entertain them without even knowing it sometimes. Thirdly, in verse 3, it says, Remember the prisoners as if chained with them, those who are mistreated, since you yourselves are in the body also. Now we come to a, this third obligation, that of remembering the prisoners, the needy and the mistreated. We must uh, show concern for them. It was common, very common back then, for believers to be arrested and imprisoned for their faith. And this is something that is still happening even today in many parts of the world. We must pray for them and try to help them in any way we can. Also, we are to identify with them and consider ourselves bound with them. 
We see this in the example of Onesiphorus in 2 Timothy, where, who showed sympathy and concern for Paul. He came to Rome and he searched to find Paul until he found it. And he ministered to Paul in his imprisonment in Rome. We must show the same kind of sympathy, the same kind of love and concern for the prisoners and for those who are being mistreated. Not as because they're criminals, but because of their faith. The reason for this is that you yourselves are in the body also. As believers, we're all in the body, the body of Christ. Now in verse 4, we have another exhortation. The exhortation is to live purely. Okay? Marriage is honorable among all and the bed and the file, but fornicators and adulterers God will judge. Uh, the word of God is clear, isn't it? The first place to practice love is where? Is in the home. Do you know why we have so many problems today with the morality or the lack of it? Is because the homes failed. It's horrible to see how parents have failed their children, especially fathers, and many times mothers too. But fathers have children, and then they couldn't care less about them. It's alarming. I would hate to be in their shoes the day they have to give God an account of what they do. Okay? The first place to practice love is the home. Many people are willing to help others, and they neglect their home. And we have that saying in English, charity begins at home, don't we? Huh? You can be very generous with outsiders, and that's okay, but don't neglect your home. Don't do it just for the eye, to see, for people to see that you're generous while your home is a disaster. And this is another command. Spouses must love each other. Today, divorce is another epidemic. We don't get along. Force yourself. Now, I know sometimes things are impossible with some certain people, and I know that. But for the most part, a lot of people, they just get divorced at the drop of a hat. That's like the uh, Jews used to do back then. A Jew, a man, would look at his wife. If she burned the food or if she did something he didn't like, he would look at her in the eyes and say to her three times, I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you. And that was it. That's why the Lord said what he said, to limit that, to close the door. It says, give her a writing of divorcement. Because back then, it's not like now, we all have pencil and paper at home, don't we? Now, we even have computers now. We don't even need pencil and paper. We just type in the computer, I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you. Back then, they didn't have that. They had to go find a scribe to write a letter, because not everybody knew how to write, or they didn't have paper and, you know, parchment. And by the time he did that, maybe he cooled off and changed his mind. The Lord did that to protect the woman, not the man. So here we see that, and this is another command, spouses must love each other. Honorable the marriage in all, it says, literal translation, no verb, no verb in the Greek. Honorable the marriage in all. The will of God for the home is that it must demonstrate loyalty and purity. Sex outside marriage is destructive and downright sinful. People who toy with sex, they, they, they reap the consequences of it later. But inside marriage is honorable and glorifying to God. God will judge fornicators. Who are the fornicators? Those who have sex being unmarried. And he will also judge adulterers. And who are the adulterers? Those who have sex outside of marriage. So one is before marriage, and the other one is outside of marriage. Don't be deceived. The world can say whatever they want. Now they're coming out with this stupid thing 
that you determine your sex. You don't determine your sex, your gender. That was determined before you were born. Hmm? Do you know who, 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 who uses that philosophy? Perverts. And that's the, what they're trying to teach kids in the school. Be careful. You're sending your kids to public school, be careful. You better check it out. One blessing that we had from COVID, you know what it is? One blessing we had from COVID is that parents had to homeschool their children or they had to do schooling through Zoom. And by doing that, they discovered by the millions what they were teaching kids in school. And parents are up in arms all over the country. Okay? What they were teaching their kids in school. They don't teach them arithmetic, and they don't teach them how to write a letter, and they don't teach them English and, you know, literature and what have you, but they teach them all these filthy, perverted things. They want to make them. You know who does those things? Perverts. Now, do I believe that every person has the right to live? Yes, I do. I don't think anybody should be discriminated against. I believe that everybody should have the right to live. But they don't have the right to impose on somebody else their point of view, their lifestyle. And on top of it, now they are forcing kids to become immoral. And some parents are buying it. Be careful, because you're responsible for your children before God. Okay? So be careful with that. God will judge. People can stand on their heads or do cartwheels in the air, scream until they are blue in the face, and pass laws, and whatever else you want. But God will judge in the end of it all. Both adulterers and fornicators. How does God judge them? Sometimes he judges them in their own bodies. They get some of these venereal diseases. But now we have invented condoms, haven't we? But that, that doesn't always work. And you know what? God has more methods. Whatever you sow, you reap. Okay? Read Romans chapter 1, and you see how God judges the world giving them reprobate minds. What is a reprobate mind? It's a mind that can no longer discern right from wrong. And nowadays, wrong is right, and right is wrong. That's why we must stay in the Word of God, because the Word of God keeps us focused on the right thing. Okay? Now, he judges them in their own bodies, and for sure... He will judge them all at the last judgment. He will judge them all at the last judgment. I read something the other day that said, before God's judgment, the millionaire will be poor, the wise man will be a fool, the powerful man will be weak. Oh, how those mouths are going to be shut that day when they see God face to face and they get their judgment. Some people think they can, because God is, takes, is taking long in bringing judgment, they can go on doing whatever they want. But remember this, payday someday. Eh? Payday someday. Believers who commit these sins can be forgiven, but they will lose blessings and rewards in heaven. And the Word of God tells us that as well. The Apostle Paul, when he was writing to the church of Ephesus, he said it. For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man, who is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. That's the word of God. Okay? No fornicator, no unclean person, 
no covetous person, no idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of God. Remember King David? How many of you have read the story of David? Book of 2 Samuel? Hmm? David was a great king, but he sinned. And God forgave him because he repented. God forgave him. But there were horrible consequences in his life and in his family. And the Lord told him, the sword shall never depart from your house. And true enough, when his kids grew up, they started killing each other. Raping, killing. They even tried to kill David. Greeks have a saying that says, have children to see good. That's, of course, sarcastic. Because sometimes children can be your worst enemies. But that's not their fault. It's yours. My mother, uh, thank the Lord, her memory is blessed. Because she had a very, very, very uh, successful method of stripping us of our rebellion and enmity. She applied the rod of understanding in the seat or the rod of correction on the seat of understanding. And both my sister and I grew up closer to our mother than to our father. And she disciplined us almost every day. Where my father, maybe he hit me twice in his lifetime. My lifetime was, was, was a lot. Okay? So, hey, there are ways to do the right. You do things God's way, you will reap the benefits. Don't let your children intimidate you. Smoke screens. David did not discipline his children. Jacob did not discipline his children. And look what they did. They took their brother and they sold him as a slave and they let the father come to the conclusion that some wild animal killed him. Samuel did not discipline his children. Eli did not discipline his children. And look what happened. Tragedy. Tragedy. Okay? Thank God for those parents who know how to discipline their children. And they do it in love. But they do it. It has to be done. Otherwise, you're, 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 you're digging your children's grave if you don't do that. So, the world blatantly practices all these kinds of sins today and brags about it. Now, we as believers must take a stand for purity in our lives. And one of the ways is to be pure ourselves and avoid watching questionable and sinful movies and programs on television or even associating with people practicing these things. Okay? That's why the Lord says, Be ye holy, for I am holy. What does that mean? You walk around like a very pious person? No, it doesn't mean that. It mean, Holy means separated. You separate from those bad companies who corrupt good morals. That's what it means. Okay? You live holily. Careful with your friends or so-called friends. Sometimes friends are not friends. They're acquaintances. So get rid of all the bad acquaintances. Don't hang around people that can take you further away from God. Hang around people that can bring you closer to God. Amen? Yeah. And then it says, not covetous, but confident in the Lord. And this is verses 5 and 6 in Hebrews 13. Verse 5, it says, let your conduct or your manner of life be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man can do to me. What can can man do to me? I will not fear. All right? One more way to show our faith in the Lord is by showing contentment. Are you happy with what you have? Some people are so unhappy Because instead of being content with what they have, they're thinking about what they don't have. Now, if you lack something, there is a right way of getting it. You pray and ask the Lord to give it to you. 
or he will give you the means for you to get what you need. He knows what you need. But don't complain about it and don't show ungratefulness. Okay? The Greek says, no lover of silver. Don't be lovers of silver. Why does it say silver? Because silver was the currency used back then. Our way of life must not be that. But it must, be, it must show contentment. The word meaning to suffice. Contentment means to suffice. To be content with what we have, presently have. Godliness with contentment, he says, is great gain. The Apostle Paul says that. You know why? We brought nothing into the world and we shall carry nothing with it. The other day I heard my brother-in-law talking about someone in his family years ago. He was his uncle by marriage to one of his aunts. And this guy made millions. And he was the most miserable person on earth. Anytime, anytime people went out, they went out together. It was Paul's father who paid the bill. This guy was just standing there with his hands in his pocket. And then he would brag. He says, I have a million dollars. But he lost all his children because his children didn't want to have anything to do with him. And he died. And he did not take it with him. Sometimes I, I, you know, I think people, we think people are really smart or intelligent or wise than us. Sometimes people are so stupid. You know, riches like that will blind you. They'll make you think that you're going to have them forever. Whatever you have. Listen, think of it this way, practically. When you were born, what did you bring? Even your body was given to you. And after you die... What are you going to take with you? Did you ever see a hearse followed by a U-Haul? I've never seen one. Some people think they're like the pharaohs. They're going to take it with them. You're not going to take it with you. The Bible tells us in Ecclesiastes that the same thing happens to the rich and to the poor. They both die, and everything they have or don't have, leave it behind. And that's why the Apostle Paul says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. That's true riches. Hmm? First Timothy 6.6. 6. So many people in our society are not content with what they have. They want more. They even come to think many things are necessities when in reality they are just luxuries. I have to have this. Oh, really? If you don't have this type of car, you haven't lived. If you don't go on vacation to this resort, oh, you haven't lived yet. You haven't gone on vacation ever. If you don't buy this product, oh, you're going to lose out. Buy and save. You don't buy and save. You buy and spend. You want to save? Don't buy. Amen? You don't buy by saving. You save by saving, not buying. Now, I know some things are necessities, and you buy your necessities, that's fine. But don't fall into this, uh, you know, cliche that many people have today. We all can learn to downsize. You really think you can live with less? Now, this message is not for the stingy ones. You don't go home now and deprive your wife of everything. Is that, is that, uh, is that clear, Ivan? Okay. Now, you better get the message. Luis Daniel, better get the message, you machistas, okay? It's not for you to deprive your wives of everything. It's for you to be frugal and to be good stewards of the money. We all can learn to live with less, not more. Material things can never satisfy the heart. How much do you need to be satisfied, okay? Only God can satisfy the heart. And Paul knew that. Very well. He knew God himself had said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. He told that to Moses. and He told that to Joshua. The Lord Jesus himself warned us of the, this danger. The life of a man does not consist in the goods that he possesses. When we have him, we have everything. 
Material things can decay or be stolen, but the Lord will never leave us or forsake us. I am with you always, he says, even unto the end of the world. Okay? He will provide our every need according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. So we as believers may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? Man cannot hurt us. The Lord Jesus Christ is our Lord and helper, so be content in the Lord. Now also, we show our faith by following good examples. First of all, we must follow the example of our spiritual leaders. Look at chapter 13, verse 7. Remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct. Did you notice that? Who are we to follow? The spiritual leaders, it says, those who have taught us the word. It's not talking about following Hollywood stars. Those are not your examples. They're all a whole bunch of, most of them anyway, are a whole bunch of failures. Doesn't tell us to follow the politicians, especially these days. They're all a whole bunch of failures in their own personal lives. Some of them are even perverts. You don't follow that. You follow the Lord. And you follow the examples we have in his word. And you follow the spiritual leaders that you have. One of the good examples believers are urged to follow is that of their rulers. Those who exercise spiritual authority over them. Remember those who rule over you who have spoken the word of God to you. The reason is because in, my, in the past they had spoken the word of God to them. Believers are to carefully observe their way of life for the purpose of keeping on imitating their faith. The word that the, uh, the writer uses here when he says, um, whose faith follow, whose faith follow, that word follow in the Greek is mimisthe, where we get, the word, we get the word mimic from. When you mimic somebody, what are you doing? You're imitating that person. Okay? Now, we're not to do it in a, a disrespectful way, like a mime, but we are to do it respectfully, imitating, following in their footsteps. Okay? Imitate their faith. The Apostle Paul said it very clearly. Be followers of me as I am of Christ. So I say the same to you this morning. Be followers of me as I am of Christ. The day I don't follow Christ, you don't need to follow me. But as long as I follow Christ, you follow me. That's what God says. I don't say that. He wrote the Bible, not me. All I do is teach it, okay? In uh, chapter 11, he encouraged them to imitate the Old Testament heroes of the faith. So we do it by, by uh, looking at the uh, good examples, beginning with the spiritual leaders. Now he encourages these believers to imitate the faith of the most recent saints who had been their teachers and spiritual leaders. The word remember might suggest that these leaders have already died and should not be forgotten. Perhaps some of them might have been martyred for their faith. It is easy to forget or ignore the courageous leaders of the past who, thanks to them, we came to faith in Christ. While we do not worship people, we must honor them for their faithful work. Open with me one second to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and look what the Apostle Paul is say, saying there to the Thessalonian believers. He says, and we urge you, brethren, we urge you, it's important, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake. Be at peace among yourselves. 
You see, nowhere in the Bible does God tell you or me to criticize those in authority over me or over you. He says, obey your pastors. It says, imitate their faith. Some people think they're judges, and they sit in a church and they're judging. Yeah, oh yeah. Who are you to tell me this? Who are you to tell me that? Make sure you never fall into that trap, because you will do that to your own detriment. Okay? Without a doubt, these leaders were worthy of being remembered. They proclaimed good biblical truth. They were men of faith, and they lived a spiritual lifestyle worthy of imitation. We must all continue doing this today. Then look at verse, uh, thir- uh, verse 8 of chapter 13. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. It is, uh, 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 leaders may come and go. I remember some great preachers from the past that I saw, great men of God, who are not here today. They're in heaven with the Lord. We are not going to be here forever. But the Lord is always with us. He doesn't come and go. He's always here. Okay? He remains always the same and the only one worthy of our complete and eternal devotion. Jesus Christ, yesterday and today, the same and forever. He is the center and object of our faith. It is important to know, to note that this verse has been taken out of context quite often. Just because Jesus is always the same, it does not mean that he acts always the same. Just because he did something in the Gospels, it does not mean he will do the same thing today. For even in the Gospels, he acted differently at different times. Okay? The context simply teaches that Jesus can give believers victory in their trials. He brought victory to the Old Testament believers, and in different ways, of course, and also to the most recent believers spoken of in the previous verse, 7. He gave victories in the past. He gives them in the present, and he most certainly will give them in the future as well. It is important to understand that Jesus is unchangeable in his nature, in his divine and eternal aspects of it, but not in his person. Before the incarnation, he existed in the form of God in eternity past. We know that. When he became incarnate, he changed. Jesus did not cease to be God, but now he became man as well. His person changed from being God to being the God-man. And he became a mortal man, subject to change, thirst, fatigue, or hunger, thirst, fatigue, weakness, and death. After his resurrection, he changed once more from the mortal God-man to the immortal God-man. Also, he's not always the same in his program. For example, from Adam to Noah, man was a vegetarian. From Noah to Moses, God allowed them to eat anything that moved. From Moses to Jesus, Israel was permitted to eat only certain foods. Since Jesus, until now, all foods are clean again. Why? Because his programs change. Even in in Hebrews, we learned about the change in approaching God. In the past, animal sacrifices were necessary, but now they are no longer necessary. And also in chapter 11, uh, shows that Jesus did not deal the same with all the believers. His person and program changed, but he's the same in his nature. Jesus was, is, and always will be God. Therefore... This verse cannot be used to teach or prove that, oh, just because Jesus did things a certain way in the past, he fed the 5,000. Now, if we find ourselves in a place, he'll feed us again. Okay? One thing is for sure. He is the same in his nature, and he will always give victory 
in the midst of persecution for those who exercise faith. And then the third thing is good doctrine. Look at verse 9 of our text. Do not be carried about with various and strange doctrines, for it is good that the heart be established by grace, not with foods which have not profited those who have been occupied with them. Okay? Good doctrine. What is good doctrine? Good teaching. We saw in the previous verse that the Lord Jesus Christ never changes in his nature. Now we see the importance of following good doctrine as opposed to false doctrine. This is always a danger. The purpose of a good ministry is to establish people in grace and the knowledge of the scriptures so that they will not be taken away by various and dangerous doctrines. We are given that exhortation also in Ephesians chapter 4. God has placed in the church pastors and teachers and evangelists for what? For the equipping of the saints, for you. So that you may not be tossed to and fro from every wind of doctrine that comes your way. This person says something, oh, I'm going to follow this way. Somebody says something the opposite, then I'm going to follow that way. But when you are well cemented, to put it that way, in the good doctrine of the, the, the Bible, you hear something bad, immediately you say, oh, that's not right. The Holy Spirit will, Right? Turn on the red lights, the alarm. That's not, that doesn't sound right. You see a church that practices certain things and they're viola in violation of the Bible? That's not right. You know, you can tell when you know the truth. Okay? Various, the word various means in contrast or other than the unity of doctrine taught in this epistle. Strange means foreign, alien, and it refers to those found in Scripture. Any teaching not found in the Bible must be avoided, regardless of how good it sounds. The Apostle Paul warned the Galatian believers, and he said, If anybody comes, any, whether a man or even an angel, comes preaching unto you or teaching you, a gospel different than the one you have received, let him be accursed. And the Greek word there is anathema. So when, when people teach wrong doctrines, they are cursed. They have a curse over them. Good doctrine is healthy. It's like you eating good food. If you eat good food, you're going to be healthy, right? But if you eat junk, where are you going to be? Sick. Okay? As with the body, so with the soul. But it is good that the heart be established by grace, not by law. Like some religions that teach, oh, you have to keep the law. And they have all these rituals and all these foods. You can eat this, but you cannot eat that. The Apostle Paul says all that is wrong doctrine and is futile. Spiritual maturity comes from Scripture, teaching about Jesus, and not going back to the Levitical observances or some religious thing that we came out of. Some of these believers were considering going back to Judaism, to rabbinical Judaism with its laws about foods. They are warned that those dietary regulations would profit them nothing spiritually. Those laws were mere shadows of the reality in Christ. And that is why... The writer adds, not with foods which have no profit, uh, have not profited those who have been occupied with them. Those who trusted in the dietary laws did not profit themselves. I remember my mom. She gave us the story when the war started in Greece and the Italians began bombing. People, of course, fled from the towns. They went up to the mountains. And my great-grandfather, who was the head of the house, the household, 
found a place in a monastery up in the mountains for the family to be sheltered while the bombing was going on. Now, my family <coughs> were not Greek Orthodox observants. They were, most of them, evangelical. And they went, the monastery was a Greek Orthodox monastery. My grandmother cooked for everybody. So she goes to the priest and says to him, excuse me, we do not fast. By fast, they don't mean they don't eat. means they don't eat certain foods according to the Greek Orthodox doctrine. You cannot eat this. You cannot eat that, especially if you're going to go take communion, which they do with bread and wine, and you have to abstain from certain foods so you can be clean as you receive the bread and wine. So my grandma, being respectful, said to, to the priest, we do not do that. But if you want, I can cook separately for you. She respected his belief. Do you know what he said to her? He said, sister, what you eat, I will eat. Just make sure you close the door so they cannot see what I'm doing. See what I mean? And I remember growing up in Argentina, we went to the Greek Orthodox Church because we went to school there. And I remember they were teaching us that if we went to church and had to take communion, there was some fasting that needed to be done. And that morning on Sunday, you could not even drink water because you had to be clean, holy. So people went and they took the bread and the wine, just like you know we do here, kind of the similar thing. The only difference is that we don't do it here to cleanse our sins. We partake of the Lord's Supper as a remembrance. We're already clean because of the word that he has spoken to us. We're already clean because of his sacrifice. Over there, they take it to be clean, just like the Roman Catholic Church with the host, same thing. And so many times people went forward, very holy, very... And as soon as they walked out of the church, you hear them gossiping and slandering one another and talking nonsense. What does that show you? It showed you that that ritual, that rite, profits nothing. No man-made rituals profit us. The only one that can change us on the inside is the new birth, the Lord Jesus Christ. No religion, no priest, no pope, no archbishop, no pastor even. can change. I cannot change you. Only Jesus can change you. So if you are changed on the inside, then you're going to live an honest life. And according to his will. Be ye holy, for I am holy. Just like good teachers are characterized by three things, so false teachers also are characterized by three things. False teachers teach false and different doctrines. They emphasize the external rather than the internal, such as eating or not eating certain foods, observing or not observing certain days, making people believe those things are spiritual and their teaching does not produce effective spiritual results. People who follow those things become dependent on those false teachers and are never free to follow the Lord and grow spiritually. It profits them nothing. Stay in the word of God and never go away from it. In 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, we're told that all scripture is inspired by God. The Greek word means breathed. God breathed. All scripture from Genesis to Revelation is inspired by God and is good and profitable for teaching, correction, instruction, rebuke, reproof, that the man or woman of God might be thoroughly equipped unto every good work. What keeps us spiritually well-fed? The Word 
of God. So please, Christian, do me a favor. Stop the starvation diet. Start reading the Bible on a regular basis. Because when you don't read the scriptures, you starve spiritually. And who gets hurt? You do. You want to be healthy? Read the Word of God every day. Make it a point to read it. Even if it is just a few verses, but make sure you feed your soul with the Word of God every day. And I'm telling you something I do every day. I am not telling you to do something I don't practice. Amen? We thank you for listening to this message and pray that the Word of God spoke to your heart. To listen to previous sermons, please visit us at www.cbttbc.com or anchor.fm forward slash cbt hyphen sermons.